And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, we discuss the Sixers' 112-105 win over the Chicago Bulls, in which Joel Embiid dropped a career-high 50 points. We discuss his incredible stretch of play here, really of the whole season, but especially over the last 13 or so games where he's averaging 35 points per night. We compare Embiid with Iverson's prime and discuss who was the better sixer. We compare Embiid and Carson Wentz and his fall from grace here in Philadelphia. And we discuss where the Sixers rank in the Eastern Conference. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixersbeat. We can get 50% off of a yearly subscription so you can read what Rich and I write about the team. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm all right, man. That was a uh, it was a, a memorable game last night. Yeah, yeah, that, that is one way to phrase it. Um, I was gonna say I was gonna say a good game, and it really wasn't a good game. game. <laughs> it was a it was a great performance by one player, but it wasn't a good game overall. A person had a good game, yeah. Yeah, so obviously Embiid hit a career high, 50 points on the night. His previous career high was 49, and they needed every bit of those 50 points to get away with the win over the 12 and now 16 Chicago Bulls. Uh, Embiid's stat line on the night, 50 points, 17 for 26 from the field, 15 for 17 from the free throw line, 17 rebounds, including six offensive, Five assists, four blocks, and two steals. Only two turnovers. On the night, the Sixers were a plus 22 in the 35 minutes that Embiid was on the court. And then a, what, negative 15 in the 13 minutes that he was on the bench. Felt very Toronto Raptors-ing, but they escaped with a win. Where do you want to start on that performance, Rich? I mean, right now, so I I guess backing up, he is now averaging 30.5 points per game on 17.8 field goal attempts. That would be, I mean, that's hardened levels of high-volume scoring uh, without a lot of shot attempts. Obviously, that is facilitated by his 11 or so trips to the free-throw line. It's downright Harden-esque. The only part of this team which is Harden-esque, but that part is Harden-esque. He is now the second-leading scorer in the league behind only... Bradley Beal, and he's doing that while being, if not the best, certainly a top two or three defensive anchor in the league. Where do we start on this one, Rich? There were stretches of that game, and I'm specifically thinking in the beginning of the third quarter where it really felt like he was playing one on five. I mean, at the first six minutes of the third quarter, I don't think one of his teammates made a single positive play. 
I'm talking about like a minor deflection. I think Danny Green had one minor deflection that went out of bounds. Besides that, none of them did anything positive. There were brick shots. There were terrible turnovers from Tobias Harris, who played well, but that was his one bad stretch of the game. And Embiid, he scored seven points, and he probably thwarted like four Bulls possessions just to keep them afloat. And that was a big deal because, you know, if they were struggling during those possessions, the bench was just so bad. It really felt like he was carrying the team. And it, it wasn't just him. Tobias Harris had an, another excellent game. Um, That's really about strong. it, though. Like, if you're t- talking about people who played well, like, you've pretty much listed the two. Yeah, and I feel bad for Tobias Harris because that's the second time this week that he's played awesome. Um, yeah. Just, just a really solid all-around game, and the answer is, well, did you see what Joel did? <laughs> right. Because on Monday it was, well, did you see what Ben did? Right. Both of them were from in, in games where his teammates have had career highs, and to be honest, in games where they needed Tobias to step up because they were missing one of their two stars and were still going to yada, yada, yada his performance, Tobias had... 22 points on 9 for 16 shooting, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. Yeah, I mean, he was good, but Joel got 50. Like, it's hard to talk about anything else. Um, yeah. he uh, He's unbelievable. I mean, wh- what else can you say about it? Like, he, uh, you know, he has the... He's even... Do you remember a couple of years ago when he'd be like, Joel, after two dribbles, nothing good happens? He's sitting there dribbling 8, 9, 10 times and getting to good spots, getting and ones out of it. it he is he's, he is very much in control of everything that is going on around that court. And I, I heard a lot of people, you know, I listened to a couple of low post podcasts that might've had some other Sixers podcasters on it that are afraid to play basketball. But he's mentioned a couple times about Embiid's negative assist to turnover ratio. And I love Zach. I think he's the best in the game, but I do think that is, you know, missing a little bit of his growth. Like, yeah, he doesn't have a good assist to turnover ratio. And even last night, you know, I mean, he had five assists last night. But I pointed out the other day, like most of his assists are garbage assists. Like their dribble handoff, Seth Curry takes two dribbles and makes a pull-up jumper. Like they're nothing he, creative, nothing that you would write home about. He had one of his best assist games the other night when Seth Curry was just making the erratic right. shots right. at the free throw line. And he did nothing to facilitate that. But then you have games like last night where he gets five assists, probably was involved in 10 more buckets of Sixers made just because he is that first rea- first pass of that chain reaction that ends up in a, a a bucket and just watch him and he handles that pressure he has a plan of attack he has i mean i think he said it last night where the game has slowed down for him and i think it's pretty clear that that has happened regardless of what his assist numbers end up being he is controlling the sixers offense he is manipulating the other team's defense at a way he never has before and that was very evident last night he had one play where he did a behind-the-back dribble in traffic, and it really didn't go anywhere, but he didn't lose the ball either. <laughs> so the level that he is playing with and the level that he is, I don't know, just w- willing to mess around, right? He says, like, the game is slowing down for him. He does stuff, like you said, that even last year i'd say this the fundamentals on this are way out of whack this isn't going to work like you said like you said the game is completely slowing down for him and he is uh i thought it was interesting that he was like he, he the, the question was not about coaching he was like it's not about coaching yeah it's about the game slowing down for me and it's about me being willing to dominate 
every night. And, uh, you know, it's funny that I thought his defense was like wax and waned a little bit during the game. Like well, I certainly, thought, I mean, Wendell Carter started the game off with what? I think the first eight points for them. Yeah. And not all of those were Joe's fault, but no, a couple but he of them was were. giving up sort of that short role. He was conceding that for sure. Sure. And he mentioned after the game that maybe that was actually a bad thing for the Bulls because it lit a fire under him to score on the other end. Um, so there was that. And then there were a few too many offensive rebounds. I thought he gave up uh, his, you know, that 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 is a thing that, uh, you know, has been fairly consistent this year, I think, with him. But even so, like he turned it on in the second half, just you know, challenging those Carter mid-range shots. He blocked Levine three times at the rim. One of them was kind of a strip, but three times at the rim on a uh, on a pick and roll move. Matisse, nice job funneling him down him, there. But hey, like, him and Matisse had some of the best defense you'll see on a guy who still ends up dropping thirty points on the night. And I mean, Zach Levine took twenty eight shots, get those thirty points. Uh, he struggled relative to what you would expect, but he and Matisse had some really good defensive possessions there for sure. Another game, Matisse scores two points on one of three shooting. It was a it was a nice two points. It was a full court alley oop from Tobias Harris, but uh, still finding a way to affect the game. Yeah, it was a uh, it, it was just a dominant performance. And it, am I a little bit worried that it, it took that level of performance from Embiid and Harris yes. to beat? The Bulls at home? Yeah, yeah. I think that's legitimate cause for concern. Well, but hey, that, like but he he's, I mean, he's hes unbelievable. Like, I, And I, I guess I said this a couple weeks ago. I, I, I want to rephrase how I said the MVP thing. There are other players around the league having tremendous years. Like, that's the way the NBA is right now. You know, you turn on a game every night, whether it's Kawhi, Jokic, LeBron, whatever. Th- those guys are having you know, big games. But if Embiid is not in your short discussion for MVP, like this is insane. The yeah. two-way level of basketball. He is uh, he's playing right now. Two steals and four blocks last night, too. Just, yeah. uh, we're, we're spoiled. This is, it, can I, here's, here's my hot take for the day. Is this better than Iverson? Oh, 100%. I said this, I said this before Joel Embiid ever played a game. I think I was on a podcast with, it was on one of the WIP podcasts, and I said Joel Embiid coming into the NBA is a better prospect than Allen Iverson, and I took some shit for that. Uh, he is a better... In- now, look, Iverson has a sustained peak, relatively speaking. He had some ups and downs that Embiid hasn't yet... He just hasn't played the duration of games, but Embiid is a more impactful player than Iverson at his prime. I don't even think it's particularly close. Like You can, see, you can make the argument that Iverson has done more for the city and the franchise, sure, but in terms of basketball players, right now in their peak, and I have no idea how long Joel's peak will last, and that always sticks in the back of my mind. But yeah, for sure, for sure. I don't and think it's close. It's not even close. I think that's well put. I think that the Iverson, even the 2001 season, was so much fun. He is an absolute legend in every sense of the word. This is a better basketball player, though. Sure. And, and uh, Iverson was maybe the most entertaining basketball player I've ever seen watch. And that factors into it. But in terms of building a winner, 100%. Yeah. Yep. And the, Here, the here's thing another, is, no, I'm sorry, with this ahead. season, too, this season's getting pretty entertaining, yeah. too. I mean, the I, I cannot emphasize, it was the same shot he made against the, uh, the Celtics to close out the game. Um, this one 
was not a three. But at the end of the game where they just ISO him on the left wing to to salt the game. Fucking nobody does anything. Bullshit. That's amazing. That's not like a ten foot fadeaway either. His foot is basically on the three point line. Un unblockable while two guys are going to defend him. That's uh that's insane. That is too good. (laughs) Seven two, two hundred and eighty whatever pounds. And he's making those shots. It is Shaq with shock, soccer feet. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. Um, you know, I was thinking about this as, you know, if you're living in Philadelphia right now, it's even if you're not an Eagles fan, it's impossible to escape the Carson Wentz trade and sort of the fall from grace and the hype that was coming in when he was selected. And he and Embiid sort of entered the scene in sort of the same time, not in draft, but in terms of when they started playing. And it's just, you see so many, I, look, I don't want to get into a Carson Wentz debate, but you see so many incredibly hyped athletes who for whatever reason, and Carson obviously worked out for a little bit of time, end up in disappointment. And to watch Embiid, and look, we were both high on Embiid right from the jump before he ever played. Like, I, obviously, I remember you and the, if he works, if he's healthy, this is over. Like, you said that before he played a game. And I had him number one when after he broke his foot. So we were both big Joel Embiid. I don't think anybody saw this level of offense and dominance coming from him. He was, if you go back to Kansas, it is amazing to see how much he has progressed here during his, you know, during these six years since he was drafted. And really two of them, he was out with injury. His skill level is incredible. And you combine that with his size and his, it's, he's, he's really put it all together. And look, Wendell Carter's a small, well, I, I say that I'm 6'2", you're less than that. So comparatively, he's a huge dude. Compared to Embiid, he's a small dude. That was a, a, a matchup he could certainly win but the way he's got his mid-range game going the way he's got his dribble face-up game going and obviously his back down game and the way he's just seeing the court it is really like you cannot guard him right now and every now and then uh because i wrote the uh Embiid for, for mvp case um someone at the athletic will tweet out the ben simmons quote of do you know anyone who can guard him and somebody comes in undoubtedly with hey have you ever seen marcus all well we're talking about this year and this is a very different joel Embiid, and that's quite frankly, a different Marcus all. I don't know. And I mean, look, they're still playing an easy schedule, yada, yada, yada. I, I think this is a lot more translatable to the playoffs than the Embiid we saw in previous years. I do. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I watched that Lakers game. I don't think Marcus Hall can really guard him anymore. I mean, maybe he does a better job than most people, but it's not like stopping him by any means. By the way, it is, I think AU brought this up on Twitter last night. Or a few few games ago, it does is. He, does un- he write for a podcast? Yeah, yeah, he, he does. He, he should. He should. It is unfathomable that Embiid scored zero points in a game. Yeah, a season ago. Yep. 
He scores 10 points a quarter in his sleep now. Yeah. I think he's averaging like 35 over the last month. He does it by mistake. Zero points in a full game. Are you kidding me? He, uh, he's tremendous. The underrated thing about last night's game, he was coming off a game two days before where it looked like his back was broken. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't even really look healthy right now. He was severely limited two games ago. And, you know, I don't want to judge whether he was 100% last night, but he was certainly moving much better than a couple of nights ago. I don't know what type of, of back work they did while it was snowing outside, but it worked. And it, it certainly was less tight. And if his back isn't tight, he's going to give you... Like, the game on Wednesday... I think everybody thought eh, that wasn't his best performance. Like he was limited with his back. Couldn't really elevate as much as he usually could. And I believe he had close to a 30 point triple double. Yeah. I don't remember the exact stats. 31, it's 11 like, to nine. Yep. Yep. And I made this point in my piece at the athletic.com slash Sixers beat 50% off or whatever it is right now. Also, also you don't have to hear me talk about erectile dysfunction ads. If you subscribe and listen through the athletic player, you can avoid the ad reads. I know that's a big draw for some people. It would be a big draw for me. I hate the ad reads. Anyway, go ahead. It might be a big draw to hear you. (laughs) It's not. Trust me. It's not. Yeah. So. He. uh, I forget what I was about to say. I completely. You were talking about your, the article you wrote and the recap. His 30 point triple double. Oh yeah. So he basically said after the game, Sorry, the uh, the erectile dysfunction uh, <laughs> ads that they got <laughs> they shut me down for a second. Um, he he said after the game, and this is this is true. Um, you know, you, you know this as well. After every home game, he has to sit and have a conversation with Sonny Hill, and I think we've mentioned that before. But you know, I always wondered, like, eh, does he really want to talk to Sonny at like some of these points? But you know, Sonny's gonna impart his version of wisdom on him. But he brought him up. After the game last night, said, well, we can't do that right now because of COVID protocols and everything. But what Sonny is telling me is don't get too high or don't get too low, which is, A, it's obvious advice. But for Embiid over his career, it's good advice because he is one of the more, I would say, emotional players in the league. He does get too low after team losses, not even poor games by him, just like tough team losses. The problem is there's not a lot to get low about. No. Right now, because he has that game the other night, which is considered a bad game. It is a monster performance. And then he has a good game, and it is 50 points and 17 rebounds. I don't know. It's insane. I, so the over- other thought I had when, when he uh, when he did the, the egging on the crowd thing, man, the Wells Fargo Center, yeah. if there were people in it, the roof would have blown off that place last yep. night. It is. That sucks. It does suck. It It, it is a, a shame. And it's it's fascinating that he's having his best season of his. We always talked about how he needed the crowd to lift him up. Now he's having by far the best season of his career with nobody in attendance. Um, you almost wonder if maybe that up and down is more pronounced when there's there's fans there. But it probably I I would attribute ninety five percent of it just to personal growth. Over his last over the last month since January twentieth, we're talking about thirteen games. He is averaging thirty five point two points per game on twenty shots shooting 55.4% from the field. He has scored under 30 points, a grand total of twice during that stretch. And we're talking about 28 points against the Lakers and 25 points against Sacramento. It's not like he had a dud. 
Every other game has been above 30 points over that 13 game stretch. And these Sixers are what I think they've lost. They've lost a couple games where he's played there. Um, but I think they are 10 and three when he's played in that stretch. Just incredible basketball. And look, when I wrote my article, I basically wrote why he's a leading contender. And then like LeBron and Jokic are um, challengers. He's 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 got to be the front runner right now. And look, I get that the games missed would... First of all, Jokic is by far the statistical MVP. As we always say, though, those stats tend to not reflect defense very well. And that's where Embiid has a very clear advantage. But just the fact that, you know, what is, I think Denver's playing better. They're up to like, they're certainly above 500, maybe like 16 and 12, something in that range. But how dominant the Sixers have been with Embiid along with his statistical season and his, his, I mean, he's just been the most dominant player this year. I think he has pulled away here over the last couple of games. There's still a very long season. And I worry very much that the noise about the number of games he missed might cause the Sixers or Embiid to make decisions down the line, which might not be the best for their chance to win a title. That still concerns me. I mean, he's still playing 35, 36 minutes every night. But the problem is Jokic plays like 37 minutes yeah. a game because he just doesn't jump. Right. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work on him. Doesn't miss the games either. It, 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 that concern. Look, if he misses 12 to 15 games, he's not going to be the league's MVP, I don't think. And it's a tough call. You don't you don't have very many chances to win the league MVP. If Joel Embiid wants to play every night, I get it because there's no guarantee that playing every night is even going to do any damage. But it does concern me for sure. He uh, it has a 66.6 true shooting percentage right now. So like while you say that Jokic is the statistical MVP, like Embiid is pretty damn close in a lot of these. Oh, he's having a historic stats. statistical season. Yeah, I mean he's sure. he's right up against the point three sure. win shares per forty eight, which is like the the magic number. Um, I'm I'm looking at his basketball reference right now. That is not in bold, so I assume that's uh that's behind Jokic, whatever he's at right now. But yeah, and uh, obviously not the same passer as Jokic. I, I am a little worried about the team success benchmark because right now, yeah, they are the best team in the East. But like you said, they're pretty bad when he doesn't play. And I, I worry if Daryl doesn't uh, make a move or two here with the tougher schedule in the second half of the season, that they might not be quite as good. And that'll, no, I, that'll I, hurt his chances. I just, I agree. And, and I'm already a little bit worried about the MVP race, just I feel bad for him. He deserves like if he continues to play like this throughout the season and he takes a few games off, like he deserves the MVP. Yep. But it's it's like we've talked about before. If he does take rest, which he should be doing as the season's going along, like I think they've done a nice job with that for the most part. Like when his back feels tight, he doesn't play. And you know, you had the game against Utah on Monday, doesn't play. Everybody says, ah, that's a bummer, but there's not a lot of uh, controversy yeah. around it. It's it just, is. It's just he's not playing. But that's going to hurt his MVP case, and that sucks because he's playing awesome. It's weird because a lot of these games being missed now by these MVP candidates are being missed because the teams think it is in their best interest to sit them. So why should you get penalized for something that is theoretically going to make the team better in the long run? They are doing what is smart for the health of the player and the team and the league. Why should you be penalized for that? 
it is a a a weird question to ask but uh i think he will get penalized for it um and to your point Jokic is the leader in win shares per 48 at dot 306 he's also the leader in offensive win shares total win shares offensive he's, box plus minus box plus minus good. and value over replacement player uh mb leads in per um which from being good. honest is probably the least relevant in today's nba look Jokic is having an incredible season i do think they that that measures offensive impact a lot better than it does defense. So one of them, I don't even want to say Embiid's biggest strength right now because he's become one of the best offensive players in the league. But what, Embiid's real difference making when you're comparing him to Jokic, I don't think is properly measured. The Sixers have a better team. They're a far better team when Embiid plays. But we will see how that all, like you said, the second half of the season is going to be tougher. Theoretically, we never know what's going to happen with COVID and health and safety protocols. But uh, we will see how the team success and I mean, Daryl's got work to do because I'm sure what the second half of this podcast is going to be about is how god awful that bench was. Uh, that bench cannot compete against the better teams in the league. You cannot be giving up that many points in that many uh, minutes to players who right now just don't deserve to be on the court. Let's, so. let's do a brief interlude. Joel, unbelievable performance. Wrap, wrap that up. Put a bow on it. Brief interlude. I thought two things stood out. Uh, to help win that game. I thought Tobias Harris, his physicality was just tremendous. I mean, what did he have? 12 boards at the end of the game. And that comes with, you know, he does not draw fouls. Like we should get that out of the way first, but he's a physical driver against smaller dudes, man. He, he had a little bit of trouble against Patrick Williams for the first two quarters. And then he just got him in that mid post on the left side of the floor. Not uh, dissimilar to where Embiid, like his office is, and just bullied him a couple of times, and there was that. There was, uh, I don't know who he scored on, but he ducked in on a high-low play where Embiid fed him, and he just he posted a guy up and, and got great position and scored. He uh, he drove right at Levine in transition. He threw Archie Diacono out of the way on an offensive rebound. The, uh, you know, there were, there were two great Embiid possessions in the game last night. There were maybe three. But the two that stood out just in terms of like individual brilliance, the step back shot we talked about earlier. And then in the first half, he goes coast to coast and does his yeah, step yeah. around. I guess that was Wendell Carter for an M1. Where, Not where he's only driving. an end one, but also a two for one. So I was right yeah, at the end. Well, he went a little too quick. Levine got him back, but uh, still uh, just ridiculous. I mean, like, I forget who was bringing the ball up. I guess it was Curry and he was getting denied and he just said, all right, well, just just throw it back to me and I'll sprint 100 miles an hour at Wendell Carter and do the uh, do the below the rim Euro step M1. But there was another possession he had where it was him and Tobias Harris. I believe they split four offensive rebounds before Embiid eventually got fouled. Uh, and that's Tobias is a part of that where he's just, he plays... He's like playing to his size and he plays every game. And it's just a, uh, it's another measure of like, look, Tobias Harris, um, is he playing at the heights of what Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons played like the past couple of games where they both went off? No, but it's, it's like every night, nine of 16, 22 points, uh, seven assists too. I, I know yeah. he turned the ball over a few times and it was pretty maddening. Just, just like another really consistent performance, and you know, you hear after the game like he's the one pumping up Embiid. He had the, uh, 
I got a lot of uh, a lot of retweet engagement on the when my kids grow older, I'm yeah. gonna tell them I played with Joel Embiid. When they ask who's the best player, I'm gonna say Joel Embiid. Um, you know, when you when you, we always say like Tobias is a great guy, but uh, well, Tobias is a great guy, and he's playing really consistent, good basketball right now. And uh, again, I cannot emphasize enough when you're getting that game from him and Embiid's game. There's no way the game should have been closed. Yeah. And the other thing, especially and, and when you also, defend Levine relatively well, and like there's just they're they're the Bulls, yeah, for sure. So so Matisse tell, has told the story a few times when he's a freshman in high school in uh, in Washington. I think he did transfer, so I don't think he was at uh, East Bank Catholic or, or wherever he ended up. But freshman in high school gets his first varsity game. I think he had been playing freshman basketball, but he he had shown up. That, that they called him up to the varsity. His first assignment in Washington State is that he has to guard Zach Levine. And he was like, you know, in, in classic Matisse fashion, he's like, you know, he's, he talks about it like the wide-eyed freshman still like, ooh, I got a couple of blocks. It was fun. Like, it was great. That type of thing. Uh, so now he's in the NBA. Zach Levine is playing. I don't know if he's going to be an all-star because, look, the NBA, it, it's a smaller version of what – um what Embiid is dealing with, with the MVP race. There are a lot of people who you can make a case for as all-star candidates in the Eastern conference. Ben Simmons has not played that well for a month of the season, but one good month from him, he certainly deserves to be in the discussion for one of those last spots, considering his defensive play. I don't think I would probably have them there, but we can have that discussion maybe later this week. But you have a guy like Zach Levine, who is not an all-star lock who's averaging 28 points and five yeah. assists on, like, Joel's true shooting, which, like, look, he doesn't guard anybody, but he's a terrific offensive player. And you have Matisse, who's in the starting lineup for Ben, who's out. Uh, hopefully that, that illness gets uh, gets a little better. Losing Ben looks for like, two games. Looks like we might get shake back, too. Uh, Doc said before the game that he was uh, he went through, I forget what it was, whether it was a scrimmage or a walkthrough. It was a low-minute scrimmage, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to see how it how his ankle reacted uh, after a, a night and a day off, uh, but it sounds like you could get Matisse back for that. Toronto uh, two-game Shake. series. Yeah. Shake, yeah, 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 sorry. So hopefully, you know, Ben can feel a little bit better and Shake comes back. You have Toronto who's playing better now, uh, despite the fact that... Uh, Who's that? Utah Watanabe got his uh, his life destroyed by Anthony Edwards in yes. that game. That's that's honestly the best dunk I've seen since the DeAndre Jordan. I yeah, dunk that, on like I, you see a lot of people on Twitter like dunk of the year question mark. And it's like, dude, you're selling that way short. Like dunk way of short. The last four or yeah. five years, yeah, yep. In, insanity. Um, but back to Thibel, you know, you have Levine, who's having this great season, and Joel said it. Like you look down at the stat sheet, nine of twenty eight. 30 points because he got to the line 10 times. And Levine, I remember he had that that one step back, probably with like four minutes left in the fourth quarter. He makes a step back three over Matisse, one of his two made threes in the game. And I'm thinking like, man, that's unguardable. Like that's yep. that's very good defense by Matisse. Credit to Matisse for not fouling, which is like his problem sometimes on three-point shots. You know, like look, Levine was off in that game. He missed a couple of bunnies. He missed a couple of threes that were, I, I wouldn't want to say like, wide open shots, but shots that he created some space and can easily make. But that doesn't matter. Like, you know, if, if Matisse is 
is the one who's around him most of the time. Just another really strong performance. And yeah, when when you have Matisse playing at this level on the defensive end, what do we got? Three steal, three blocks, only one steal in 37 minutes. Shame on Matisse. That'll uh, that'll bring down that number on the per minute basis. But uh, yeah, another really good defensive game from him. Yes, it was. It will be interesting to see the rotations once, uh, you know, assuming Ben and uh, Shake come back. It will be interesting to see how they fall back. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right. God, they need Ben and Shake back. Yes, they do. Because, so let's move on to the bench performance. (laughs) You know, they came out when, before they went all bench, and I think they came in and what, I think Furkan and who was the other sub that came in with him? Maybe Maxi? I think maybe those were the first two subs. Maxi came in first in the second half. I don't know about the first half. I I guess he probably came in first then. And and maybe maybe Dwight, but this, basically there were two, there were a couple of other starters on the court with them, and for maybe a two minute stretch, it looked like the bench play might not be a disaster. You know, Maxi had a pretty decent drive somewhere in there. I think maybe he hit a floater. Um, they found Dwight Howard somehow miraculously found Furkan Korkmaz with a pretty good good backdoor cut on a screen that Seth set. Uh, and then there was a, another play, a lob, I think, from Danny Green, of all people, to Dwight Howard. And I'm thinking, hey, maybe they can get just 10 minutes of competent play from their bench squad. And then the doors just completely fell off. And Tyrese Maxey had one of the worst performances of his season. And he's had a, a he's couple had of a decent, He's had some competition for that uh, yeah. background. Furkan was unplayable again, especially. Can we, I mean, can we talk? He threw two of the worst passes worst pass. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. He has just enough creativity to get himself in trouble. Exactly. And then Isaiah Joe, I mean, we prop up Isaiah Joe to take Furkan's minutes, but Isaiah Joe's not really playable right now, I don't think. Like, he's not ready. It's 
They're... I so I, I disagree with that. I would have given him the second half minutes. Oh, I give him the second half minutes, but that's because his competition is Furkan Korkmaz. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Like I don't that's expect fair. Isaiah Joe to fix anything per se, which isn't an indictment on Isaiah Joe at all. He's just he's he's just not ready. All I'm saying is, don't. I'm not going to kill Isaiah Joe for his minus two. I, I don't think he was no. as responsible as the other four bench players. I mean, Mike Scott, nine minutes, zero negative, shots. Negative 20. Negative 20. Minutes. Yeah, I that know. is really hard to do. And there's just, like, you made the point, like, yeah, maybe these Tyrese Maxey floaters aren't good offense, but, like, what the fuck else are they going to generate with the squad? Yeah. And it's not completely wrong. I don't know. Like, you're looking at the five bench players who played last night. Tyrese Maxey, Dwight Howard, Furkan Korkmaz, Mike Scott, and Isaiah Joe. I don't know how that group can succeed without staggering them more. And Doc, for whatever reason, and he said last night, like, well, Tobias was going, well, we didn't want to take him, like, we didn't want to take him off the court. All right. I don't know how this group is going to succeed unless you stagger them very heavily, very heavily. And yeah. to be honest, I think that even extends when Shake comes back. Like, I think asking Shake to carry that slop around all for eight, ten minutes a game is too much. It's too much on the kid. And it'll be better when Shake comes back. But yeah, ideally, if you have Ben playing like Utah Ben or a decent facsimile of that, and then you have Shake, okay, then your bench is, you, you can see that there's a path to being more consistent, specifically more consistent offensively. Right now, I mean, you watch that group run offense. They had Curry with them as the all-bench player Yep. in the second half. And really, it was like, Seth, just take whatever shot you can. And they were bad shots. <laughs> he made one step back mid-ranger, and it was like, all right, well, that was good. But it was a terrible shot. You just see, like, whether they're running, um, you know, their pistol action and swinging the ball or running 12 or whatever, you know, the the ball moves. I think Allah said this on the broadcast. The ball moves, but they're not really getting anywhere with it. Other yeah. teams, honestly, the, the the main thing you should do with that lineup that they had in last night's game, even if you are not a switch team, you should switch everything. 100%. You want to switch a small and a Dwight Howard posting up? Good. It doesn't work. Like, he's going to lose the ball. Worst case scenario, you, you can foul him. And best case scenario for the Sixers, he's making one of two. Put put a and big it, on Matisse. He's just going to end up dribbling it off his foot on the drive anyway. And he did that in, in did. last night's game. Um, Mike Scott, like, I mean, there were a couple games ago against Utah where he was like dribbling into mid range jumpers, which is he's just a very limited offensive player. Cork is, I mean, he's unplayable right now. Like he's he's really bad offensively. And you know, I mentioned those two turnovers. Like he threw the ball into the third row. I don't know. I, I was not at the game. I was watching on TV. You were there. I don't know if they had like a Sixers team employee. Did like uh, did like Josh Harris have to walk up three rows? He sits courtside and, and fetch the ball. I don't know. Wow. I mean, just r- really, really bad. And yeah, it was a mistake for uh, for Doc to play that group. It, it was not a mistake for him to play Maxi, who was awful, awful because he's the only one of them that can even generate a shot. One on one, and they're not good shots, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, hopefully they can, um, they can have Simmons and Shake back, but they really need to think a about like upgrading. I mean, I'm looking at this like every single spot on that bench. Now you can upgrade it a little bit with Shake and Ben, 
so you can knock Matisse and uh, Maxi back a spot with with those two. But man, they probably need two other players as well. Yeah, um, because the rest of these guys aren't playable either. And and Doc said it after the game, like, yeah, we, we were just trying to buy minutes. I gambled and it didn't work. Yeah, no, no shit, it didn't work. That that was not a very well coached game by Doc Rivers last night. Um, it is funny though. Every time they pull out one of these games. The fan reaction is like, oh man, look at those great adjustments to win a close game. It's like, I, yeah. And B yeah. dropped 50 and you won and you needed every step back jumper he could give you. I don't, yeah. I, I would listen to Embiid who's saying unsolicited, it's not I will coaching. Say, it is pretty incredible how every time we ask Embiid about what, like why he's taking the next step or what Doc has done to put him in the next step, he has shot back pretty hard and pretty consistently that it's like the difference isn't coaching. I doubt there's anything between Doc and Joel that's off. Like, I don't want to suggest that. Maybe part of it is that he doesn't want to, like, come off critical towards Brett, who I think he likes. Or maybe part of it's just like, yo, I got fucking way better in the offseason. Like, give me the credit for the improvement. I don't know what what's behind it, but, like, there's been two or three times now where he's pretty much pivoted. Hey, what's Doc doing to put you in a better position? He's like, yeah, it's not really coaching. It's, you know. And again, last night he wasn't even asked about that. It was... You know, why are you playing so well? It's not Doc. I'll tell yeah, you that. It's, it, and uh, I, again, I want to be clear. I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't think there's inter- anything wrong either. But uh, it is interesting that he does that. I think there's a, a sense of loyalty to Brett, too. I think so. Uh, but I also think, like, look, throughout Embiid's career, we have said whenever he makes a pointed comment, there's usually a lot of truth behind it. He's like a really smart, smart guy, guy. Yep. when it comes to analyzing his own game, analyzing other players' games. And look, I I feel very vindicated. I'm going to run with it with the, hey, look, Doc is a coach. I think he's a good coach. But this idea that he is going to be the the reason that they turn around, I'm not buying it. And the reason they are turning- Specifically, like this face-up thing is something that he and um, Chris Babcock and Drew Hanlon worked on in the summer of 2019 in the layoff in 2020, like they have been sort of like slow building towards this iteration of Embiid where he's much more of a face-up threat from the mid-range than than a true or only post-up threat. Like he's been talking about this for years. I know that that he and his trainer and and, and Chris have been working on this for years. And I do think there is some sense of like what they've been working on is finally sort of coming to fruition to the point where you can really see it on a basketball court. And I want to be clear. I like Doc. I don't think he is a... uh a bad coach by any means, but you're seeing some of the similar problems that there were under Brett. Like if, if Mike Scott was a minus 20 in nine minutes and Brett played an all bench unit, I couldn't yeah. be on Twitter for 24 hours without <laughs> yeah, hearing about yeah, it. Yeah, yep. Yep. If they had a game like Wednesday against Houston, where the game was unlosable, they shot the three really well in the first half. Houston couldn't buy one. And they almost lost it because they were barfing all over themselves with turnovers. And I think they're the third worst turnover team in the league right now, or yeah. second worst. They're 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 up there. A lot of these same problems have not gone away with Doc Rivers. Is all I'm saying. Right. Joel Embiid uh, has just gotten really good, like, and really he's gotten really good. good. And I don't. Um, I really like like honestly from where they were after Brett got fired. Like if you told me they had hired Doc. I think it's a good thing that, that that he's here. I think he's good for uh, for the camaraderie of the team, even though they they can't really do anything. He had a moment in uh, in last night's game where he was like, 
he started screaming at the ref after he got teed up and he was like, you make the bad call and I get the tech or something like that. And he said that like four times and it's, uh, it's pretty funny. He's, uh, he's a, he's a funny guy for sure. For sure. He's, he's a memeable gentleman. <laughs> yes, but, he uh, is. Oh, look, I think when he got hired, I think we both said like, this is a better coaching, certainly better coaching staff, but also I think doc is a, a better coach. Like if you were to rank the coaches, you would have doc ahead of Brett. Our thing is just, we think coaching gets, a. Uh, overrated at times and any problems or success get attributed a little too freely to coaching but but they anyway they really have to fix this bench because it's awful i know ben simmons is a bigger loss than perhaps even i thought you know a little while ago like playing without him with this team is rough (laughs) it's it's hard to win and you need mb to be awesome to uh to win You, you basically need the other team to shoot poorly too like you know if the bulls have a a Portland style shooting game, Sixers <laughs> probably lose. Um, the Sixers, they've got very lucky. Portland was, or Portland, uh, Chicago was like two for 11 from three or two for nine from three. At the half, the Sixers were out shooting an opponent from the three point line. It was tremendous. I think they ended up tied. Um, both teams sucked from the perimeter. Yeah, but they, they made better use of it. Seven of 21 compared to seven of 32 for Chicago. I mean, it's really. It's remarkable that that was a close game, considering all of those factors. Uh, so yeah, like playing without Ben, playing without Shake, those are big deals, but they're bigger deals than they should be. I mean, yeah. these bench guys are—they are like G League process basketball right now, and that needs you, to be addressed at some you point. You need a stretch five so you can stagger and beat in Simmons and have Simmons run with those bench groups. Uh, I think you need another ball handler. So that then you're not quite as reliant on shake. Uh, and then you can get away with playing Matisse a little bit more because you have enough scoring and shooting and ball handling around him in those bench lineups. I think all of those are real legit. And look, maybe if you get a stretch five and a, you know, another co ball handler, or maybe if you just get a stretch five and you can stagger them a little more, maybe you don't need that ball handler. You can just get another reliable three and D wing. But yeah, if you can't upgrade the starting lineup, and I think the with the way look the trade deadline's a month away, but I think a lot of these teams right now, it's not looking like Bradley Beal. Even if the Six would have enough to get him, it's not looking like he's going to be on the market. It's not looking like Zach Levine might be on the market. I can't um, imagine why they'd put him on the market. Yeah, uh, I, so, I guess they they have the potential excuse of like, yeah, we're not going anywhere though. If we can get right. something great, well, for I him. think they're a little better than they expected. So it's like, well, if we're not as far away, don't trade the what is Zach Levine still like twenty. 20- Four twenty-five, something like that, and he's making 25. nineteen million dollars for the next two years. That is a yeah, very look, team-friendly contract. I'm not the biggest Zach Levine fan in the world. Um, I would not trade Ben Simmons for him, but that is certainly a a team-friendly contract for sure, for sure. If the, if the Sixers had Zach Levine and they were able to not trade Ben Simmons, I'd be I'd be up for that for sure. I'd be very for up sure. for that, and I think that would almost make a considerable difference. Uh, it would allow Ben Simmons to be the best version of himself without asking him to score. And it would allow Zach Levine to be the best version of himself. Because when you start looking at, at his advanced metrics and watch him day in and day out, like his decision-making is not great. Like when he starts trying to be a facilitator, he makes a lot of mistakes and he's prone to lead the league in turnovers, take some bad shots. Uh, his defense is atrocious, but if you've got Ben Simmons to get you into sets, if you've got Simmons and Embiid to cover him up defensively, he can be in the right spot too. Back, back but you're not str- you're not getting him without Ben Simmons, so it's a moot point. Yeah. 
Back to the stretch five thing. Dwight had a decent game last night yeah, too. Like for sure, he was our he bench, was the one bench, bench guy bench. who yeah. played. Like individually, he played pretty well. He had eight points, ten rebounds, one foul in thirteen yep. minutes. Like yep. he hit the offensive glass really hard, and a couple of those were on possessions where Maxi had to shoot kind of nine one one floaters. But at least he did a good enough job of getting all the way into the paint or getting downhill enough to get a Kobe assist for uh, for Dwight to put it back. <laughs> And they really were Kobe assists, like bad Kobe shots uh, that did not go in. Um, and, and you even have Dwight play okay, and he's a minus fifteen. I had the stat in my uh, in my piece today. Athletic.com slash six would be. Yes, the last eight games, the Sixers are minus twenty two point one per a hundred possessions when Dwight is in the game. Are you kidding me? <laughs> It's like, it's that like, is like lighting the scoreboard on fire. And to your point, like Dwight can play well. He's not stemming that tide if he's playing with Tyrese Maxey and Furkan Korkmaz and Mike Scott. So part of that is Embiid's off the floor and everything the Sixers do revolves around Embiid. Part of that is that, I mean, Dwight Howard is playing with relative slop. And part of that is that Dwight Howard before these last couple of games was playing poorly himself too. So it is a... a Bad combination. It's so illuminating, though, that Dwight has had, I would say, a decent stretch of three games. And it just doesn't matter. They're they're still terrible when he plays. No, this bench, it it is, it was so surprising, because, like, we were so honest, like, I don't think, I don't think Dwight is the right fit to play alongside Ben, and I didn't think you have to stagger the Embiid and Simmons minutes, and then they came out, and, and Dwight was playing well, and the bench was playing well, and they weren't staggering. And it was like, oh, wow, do I have to completely rethink everything I thought about this team? No, it turns out they, they still need all those upgrades. All right. I think, uh, do you have anything else? It ended up being a longer rant than I expected. It was a uh, it was an action-packed game. Fun game. Man. Fun game. A lot I, of last, good, a lot of bad. Last three games have been real fun to watch. Real fun. I mean, the whole I, West Coast trip was fun to watch. It was I think frustrating the last, at times. The last two weeks have, have been fun to watch. Like, a lot of really good play from the Stars and a lot and, of really crappy play yeah. from the bench, which allows the other team's Stars to play pretty well. It's been a... <laughs> again, I, I said this a couple pods ago. Like, from a neutral fan perspective, these, these have been pretty fun games to watch, I would say. Yeah. Last night was not as smooth as some of the, the West games, I would say, but certainly not a... Uh, an unentertaining NBA basketball game. No, but when you look up and Embiid's got 30 points at the half or whatever, like, yeah, hey, or early in the third quarter, whenever it was. Entertaining basketball for sure. An interesting um, two-game series against the Raptors coming up on Sunday and Tuesday. They pretty much play every other day now, uh, which is good for my sort of rhythm, but it's a lot for NBA players to do. Two against the Raptors, then they come home with the Mavs, Cavs, Pacers, and Jazz. Some interesting games. I, I, I can't wait to see Luca. I I would love to see Luca available for that one. Hopefully but, the snow uh, melts by then. But hopefully, yes, or or it doesn't not more snow. Um, maybe would, hey, maybe we can even reach forty degrees sometime in that stretch. That would be freaking fantastic. But some good games coming up. Sixers have a chance to. Uh, Doc Rivers will be the uh, coach for the Kevin Durant Eastern All Stars. That sucks um, for him. I do, I do feel bad for him. He, that sucks. He, he did not hide how much he was not happy about that. Um, And I think Doc is a guy who he's probably done it enough where he doesn't want to coach the all-star game during normal times. No. And especially not in this super condensed schedule where you don't have an off day. Like he wants to get the frick out of town, maybe see his family for a brief minute, then go golfing somewhere down South. 
Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't I, want to coach this game. I don't know how long the All Star break's going to be, but you're only you only got to be there for a night at least in Atlanta. It's with, not too bad with these crazy protocols and like, should they be having a game? Shrug. But, I mean, look as as Kyrie Irving will say, like you don't even really need a traditional coach. No. You can let Kyrie and Kevin Durant be the coaches. Um, no, that would bring be fun. People would, down there, yeah. You yeah. want you want ratings that that could be. Uh, oh, you could have an in-game fight. That would be great. That'd be fantastic. That, that could be a. Uh, can you imagine the bickering that would go on when one person starts getting close to like an All-Star Game MVP? Yeah. High entertainment value. But anyway, we will let I, you go. The, go of those games, real quick, the, the game that I really want to see: Sixers medical staff find a way to work the back out. Okay, for this, have them beat healthy for the Utah game. Yeah. It's the last yep. one before that all-star break. Maybe even play them like 37, 38 minutes a game in that one. Say, oh, well, we can't play in the all-star game now. Sorry. Um, because it's the last game. That's the one I want to see. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.